0: All right, welcome back everybody. We are the 1% in health. Today we'll be talking to Albert Euster. We're very excited to have him on. We've got Clarissa and Nash as well, myself, Sabe. Hey.
1: Hi, you guys.
0: Hi. Hey, guys. Just to start off, uh, I'd like to, again, reference uh, trigger warning, and also we are not professionals. Seek professional help for um, for, for advice on conditions and and what we'll be discussing today. Um, we want to jump right in and talk to Albert. Um, Albert's a long-term friend, long-time friend of mine. We grew up together in a place called Reston, Virginia. Um, we went to a school that's underground. I don't think it has solar panels anymore, but it used to have solar panels. And, uh, I showed up from Utah in, uh, 1981, 1982 from Utah into Virginia. And, uh, Albert and I were in Terraset, and we had some classes together. Um, I was there in second grade, but I think we shared a few classes, didn't we, Albert? It was six. Oh, yeah. That was great. Yeah. That sounds
2: crazy. Underground school.
0: Yeah, it was underground. We'd we'd actually play on top of the school. It had grass on top of the school, (laughs) and it had a big pyramid we could climb up on and get in trouble for being on top of it. And remember the
2: best thing was in the wintertime? They had solar panels, the old school solar panels. They were tubes filled with water that would heat up to give you solar energy and in the winter time they would explode (laughs) because water expands when it freezes right yeah these guys got a good memory they never thought that this would go into an area where it freezes so these are right above where we walked in when through the buses the buses would unload and then overnight these solar panels exploded (laughs) <laughs> and we'd have mounds of ice and then they'd have like danger signs everywhere we'd walk into school. It'd be like, you know, literally like over mounds of ice. And it was the most dangerous little path into school. Funniest <laughs> thing. Funniest <laughs> thing. Yeah.
0: I, I I was checked out for that portion. <laughs> That's great. That you is remember.
3: fantastic. Uh,
0: well, Albert used to, He's <clears throat> his family's from sw- Switzerland and he would bring <clears throat> the most amazing chocolate to school. He was known as the The kid who would bring boxes of chocolate to everybody he was probably the everybody's favorite um was that family-owned business or where did they come from
2: so that was a good story so ironically um ironically but funny enough my father he was an executive chef turned restaurateur turned uh importer entrepreneur and he became known as mr chocolate Importing fine Swiss chocolates from Switzerland uh, to the United States for the professional chef. Wow. And before that, uh, it's kind of a cool story. I'll give you that a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> he came to the States in 1954, at the age of 22, as a young cook. And he had plans to go on to a career or like a, a job, actually in South America, to work his way through. He went from Switzerland to Paris, to Jersey Island, came over on the ship, came to New York, like months after Ellis Island closed, so 1954 is when they closed it. So he didn't get to go through the Statue of Liberty thing, but that would have been cool. Um, he gets to New York, works at uh, Les Pines at the time, top French restaurant, still around now. And while he's there, instead of going on to South America, Gets a job offer for the Petroleum Club in Houston. He gets a job, goes there, drives from New York to Houston back in 1954, (sighs) which is crazy. I can't imagine. It was before the interstate highways. So that's a crazy thing. And then um, works his way up, becomes executive chef at the Petroleum Club. In the meantime, he's also drafted into the US Army Korean War draft. Wow. And It was then either go back to Switzerland or go to the army. So he did that. Crossed paths with Elvis Presley as well. Wow. Wow. Um, And then, I don't know how, when, but, yeah, something around. And then, um, was the opening executive chef for about 11 Hilton hotels. Wow. um, Went on with a career with Hilton. And that was when Conrad Hilton was just starting out. So, um... You know, first it was Hotel America, then Hilton, and the last one he opened up was the Washington Hilton in D.C. Wow. So he's in D.C., opens up the Washington Hilton, and at the time they just built the Watergate, the famous Watergate um, in D.C. And they were looking for somebody to run the restaurant. So they were accepting bids and made and his buddies from the Washington Hilton said, all right, like, we're done making money for other people. Why don't we do it for ourselves? So my dad and his buddies, they incorporated, they created the Restaurant Corporation of America, put in a bid, and won the the bid for the Watergate restaurant. And they ran that from 1968 to 1980. And as of 1968, they're looking for good food. And my dad said, hey, I know some good food uh, in Switzerland. I can you know, go back and reach out to some of the companies and the fastest way they were going to figure out to bring cash in was finish the pastry shop first before the restaurant. Mm. So that's where chocolate comes in. So coming back to your question about yeah. why we have chocolate. Yep. So yep. My dad goes back to his company in Switzerland, makes a deal for the pastry shop, gets all the products, the marmalade and chocolate and everything and uh, brings in for the Watergate pastry. When they finally sell the business and the partners split their ways in 1980, my dad said, Hey guys, I think, um, in addition to cashing out my shares, I want to take the import rights for these three companies that we bring products in for. And I'm going to start a company of my own. So that's what he did. Awesome. And, um, wow. was on. And, and this is,
0: this is when you were living in the same house where by the new bridge pool.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. He
0: would would he commute into D.C. every day?
2: So, um, yeah, I mean, yes and no. So I was living there with my mom. My
0: okay. Parents, my parents divorced. Okay.
2: Um, but he was living in uh, Maryland. Okay. And he, he would like, you know, commute to D.C. from there, and um, okay. yeah, built up his business in the storeroom of the Watergate uh, pastry, Watergate area restaurant. That's amazing. And then um, <laughs> 1980 <laughs> went on his own, and with three suppliers, and um, you know, they said, "What are you going to name the company?" He goes, "I don't know." Somebody said, "Well, you have a good name in the in the industry. Why don't you name it after yourself?" And he's like, Sheep, My dad's like more or less a humble guy. Yeah. Uh, sheepishly said, "Well, okay, maybe." So he named it Albert Euster Imports. And I, I share a name with him. Of course. And um, so then he started Albury Imports and started importing products. And his name was a, a brand to other chefs. They all knew his name. And that's how we got started and sold, sold chocolate to the neighboring DC restaurateurs. Word quickly spread. And within, I think it was, three, yeah, within three years, we were on the West Coast. Then they opened up a warehouse in the Midwest. And quickly took over all of the finest restaurants, hotels, uh, resorts, country clubs throughout the United States.
0: Well, I'll, I'll tell you guys this. It, I can still taste the chocolate. He'd bring, <laughs> he'd bring dark and white. He'd bring two boxes. And I would just put my hands in both. So,
2: so yeah, let me tell you that. That's a, the that's a funny thing. So then that's, that part of the story, that's where I would walk into the warehouse. And I say, Dad, can I get some of those little chocolates? And he goes, Yeah, <laughs> sure. So I would just load up the bag and take handfuls and handfuls and I get them for free. And I said, Dad, how much do it cost? He goes, Yeah, about 10 cents each. So I was like, all right, cool. So I had zero cost of goods. And then, <laughs> you know, like my brain was like, Okay, my dad says 10 cents, so I'll sell for 10 cents each. So I sold it to all my friends, and I would take orders on the school bus. And <laughs> I mean, like, literally, I had a great business growing. One day, I remember, I made, like, $25, $30 on the school bus on the way home. And that is
1: everybody, awesome.
2: Everybody was using their lunch money. I think I owe you money bus. then. Yeah, yeah.
0: Because <laughs> I, th- I think, I don't know if I paid you unless, unless I don't remember, but I owe you some money.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, Then, but then, guess what? What? People started hearing about it. Not just the kids, but everybody. <laughs> So the teachers. Next thing you know, I got called to the principal's office. Oh my gosh, that's awesome!
1: Did he order some chocolate?
2: Yeah, I wish. I wish. <laughs> and then, he said, "Hey, listen. Um, there's word that people are spending the lunch money on chocolate." <laughs> and, and I was like, "Yeah, uh, you know, like uh, you know, it's not making anybody happy, so we better better cut it out." And that was the end of my chocolate sales. So. <laughs>
0: Well, that's perfect. So this show is to highlight uh, community, careers, and, <coughs> and and health conditions that uh, we all have. <clears throat> so as we dig into, um, I love that background. I'm glad you gave it to us. It highlights your your father's business. Um, let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, you coming to to age and kind of things you got into and uh, where you went to school and then how you started your career. We'll we'll discuss <clears throat> the. Um, our, you know our community, our upbringing, and then uh, get into career discussions, and then we'll talk about the condition that you have, and kind of educate the us and the public on uh, what you have to deal with every day. Yeah, great. All right. So,
2: as <clears throat> a perfect segue from where we came from, um, I grew up in the business. Started out, you know, by by nature in sales. Um, always thought, you know, I want to join my dad's company. Cool, I always saw that as like the natural, and to get there, I kind of saw it similar to my dad having been an executive chef working his way through the industry. I thought you know I need a good foundation in the culinary world so after high school, I went and trained as a pastry chef in Switzerland amazing for uh, three years did a full apprenticeship in Zurich, uh, worked in one of the finest pastry shops and Trained as a chocolatier, confectioner, and pastry chef. And yeah, that was, uh, I did that in Swiss German. Um, Wow. Luckily, I already spoke that from home. So, went on uh, after that, worked as a pastry chef in Brussels, then back in the States. Then, um, my next step to be getting ready for going into business with my dad, which was a thought then. Was he still US. back in the U.S.? Still back in the U.S. Okay. And um, so I went and studied hotel management, so mm-hmm. hospitality and business management. But that was back in Switzerland as well. So I did that in the one of the I, like the reputation is like the number one school in the world. It's um, the it's, it's now called the Lausanne Hospitality Business School. And I studied there for four years, and so you have that up. I studied for three years and four years. I should have like a
0: yeah (laughs) or something. Do you feel Do you feel like Switzerland is a second home? Is it a shared home? Like how do you How do you feel about the U.S. and Switzerland as far as where you belong and home and all that stuff?
2: So I grew up always with the idea of you know kind of split um in switzerland and america i was always home in both and then studying abroad in switzerland i came in contact with an amazing group of people and suddenly my story wasn't unique anymore
3: Mm.
2: all the other students had the exact same or similar (laughs) background they were born in one country parents from another they spoke a couple languages at home had been born like i said in one country and then moved around to three or four different ones Wow. By the time they were 17. And, um, you know, and then at the same time, I read a great article. It was pretty cool. Um, I think it was an economist then. And um, like a psychologist started calling the phrase of global nomads. And um, that resonated with me to be yeah. a global nomad. You're not a citizen of one country. Um, you really are a citizen of the world.
0: Yeah. Love that. Love that. All right. So what, what then? You you basically got a master's and <laughs> in a number of years of school.
2: Yeah. So then um got out of school. Oh, so during the studies we do an internship. This is kinda cool. Uh that so I get into school and they say you have to learn a language. And I was like, I already spoke Swiss German, French and English Jeez. and and how German. And now it's another language. So I said to me, all right, let me try Spanish. I did six months and then, you know, didn't pay attention. But came back, I had to do another six months. I was like, ah, not really getting this. But then I had to do another internship, and that was anywhere in the world. So I said, all right, now I'm going to either learn this language or, you know, it's a waste of time. So I looked for an internship. Um, with exclusively with Ritz-Carlton and Four Seasons was my goal. Wow. And I looked where they had hotels in the Spanish-speaking world. And it was either Mexico City with the Four Seasons or uh, Ritz-Carlton Puerto Rico or Ritz-Carlton Cancun at the time. And I ended up going to Cancun. Nice. Oh. Yeah. So How long were you there for? I
0: lived in Spring Break for six months. <laughs> okay. Awesome. The Internship. <laughs> Yeah. I can't did you did you enjoy it? Were you able to enjoy Cancun, or were you working all the time? What, what nah, was I
2: was able to enjoy. It was, it was great. So like not the spring break type stuff, but yeah, I lived in Cancun in '99. Was there for six months and lived I had an apartment right in front of the hotel in the Zona Hotelera. And uh, yeah, first like you know then what do I want to say? My free time I spent playing El Carmen. Plano Carmen at that time was really Bohemian and cool and laid back and um and was hanging out with the locals and picked up Spanish pretty well and you
0: know. Awesome.
2: Moved on from there.
0: Okay. And Albert, if you need to take a, a break at any time, just let us know. Sure, no, I'm doing well. Okay. Awesome. And then uh so you do your internship, you're seven, eight years into school. And then um so yeah, then
2: I graduate and I don't want to just be labeled as, all right, the guy who is, you know, working for his dad and he approved myself. So I switched gears. Love that. And since um, the place I studied, hotel business management, is a business degree, um, I went into a completely different industry. I applied with Parker & Gamble at their world headquarters in Geneva, Switzerland. Wow. and uh, got a job in purchasing. So I was an assistant purchasing manager for two years in Geneva. And this is actually a funny story. Um, ended up, so at least I had this, like I had a friend who got a job there and he said, this would be great for you. You're gonna love it, Albert. And I was like, yeah, Procter & Gamble, great. Corporate America, but living in Switzerland. And then he said, yeah, yeah, I'm working in fabric and home care. I was like, wait, what's Fabian here? He's like, you know, Tide, uh, Bounty, and and like, you know, surfactants and things. And I buy surfactants now. I'm like, all right, I don't know no what surfactants were, but yeah. I was like, I can do that. Sure. And he was buying for different production plants. So then I go for the interview, and it's like a interview with seven different people. You're taking tests and all this stuff. Then I take the exam, and they said, yep. We like you, Albert. We'd like to make you an offer. Awesome. Great. You know, they send me an offer, and I open the envelope, and <laughs> it says FemCare. I'm like, I'm like FemCare? What, what's FemCare? And, and as you know, FemCare probably stands for feminine hygiene products. So I didn't get the feminine home care, but I'm dealing with all these always 10-packs.
1: This makes me happy.
2: Exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. So I was like, how do I tell my dad? He sent me to study hospitality business management and then I'm going to work for him and now I'm going into Femme here. I was like, man, this, this is crazy. But anyway, so I uh, said, all right, I guess I'll do that. So, you know, it's about the experience. And yeah, anyway, it was like about the what you're buying the products and everything, and, you know,
0: it was it, so overcame the
2: giggles at the beginning, and then, yeah, it was like any other job.
0: <laughs> so it's, it's great, though, because you were learning different aspects of the industry, of different functions in a business. You were purchasing, you, were, you learned how to do management, you learned all kinds of, of, of verticals within and industries with, and stuff. So that, yeah, that so I was be...
2: buying products for 17 plants across Europe, Middle East and Africa. Wow. On negotiating contracts, I had my own suppliers in Finland, in Holland, in Germany, and um, yeah, crisscrossed Europe. And then uh, I got a faithful call from my CEO at the time, who's running the company. My dad was uh, chairman of the board at that time. And they said, Hey, you've always said you want to join the company, and now would be a time to come over. And it was right when I was offered a uh, promotion to be a be. Uh, full purchasing manager, not assistant purchasing manager. So it was my first promotion after two years. It's a loving life. I was skiing in Chamonix in uh, the winter and mountain climbing in the summer. Wake wakeboarding wow. wake on Lake Geneva before before work. And then wow. um and then I got this job offered to go back and work for my dad. So I go back and do that. Um turn my turn my back to life in europe and I, got,
1: I gotta know how you made that decision <laughs> and how you were feeling about that like there's so much left unsaid in just i'm leaving
2: yeah that was that was crazy that was um yeah, it was like uh a... yeah, made me a little pensive now
1: <laughs> that's all right
2: <laughs> no, but yeah, it was like, man, my whole life and i was twenty nine I had like an amazing life, a uh, career path with Parker and Gamble, and you know, suddenly I'm turning my back on that and switching hundred eighty degrees more or less. Um Were you, were you single, married at the time? Just single. Single at the time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that wasn't a problem. But yeah, so it was a it was a big decision, but it was like in my gut, it was like something that I always talked about. So my head was telling mm-hmm. me to stay with you know, Procter & Gamble in my life, it was great. And my stomach, my gut was telling me, you know, this is what you've always talked about, go do it. This is your, you know, your calling. So, I went and did that, went back, and um, next thing you know, I'm living with my dad again, hmm. in in the house that I grew up in. Hmm. And I ended up driving to work with him in the morning, wow. parking in the par- in his parking space, and. You know, I'm like, oh man, walking to work with the CEO and none. Oh, my dad was chairman, like president and chairman at the time. Yeah, man, I'm walking in and, um, yeah, just have a big X on my back <laughs> of like, oh, there's a the son, the boss. What's he gonna do? And mm-hmm. so, anyway,
0: fast well, forward. Being being a father, though, of someone, you know, my son just got into his own career. I know he was proud that you made the decision to go and do your own thing for a while and get your feet wet in business, learn all these different verticals. Mm-hmm. You had an amazing job. So when you did come into that work, hopefully the people were proud of of what you had done in your career and your schooling. And you weren't just coming in as you know daddy's boy and his first job. So hopefully they respected that.
2: Yeah, you would think. But then there were a lot of the haters. Really? Yeah, yeah.
1: So I'm going to interject here. My husband works for his parents and has for 30 years. Oh, well. And we, we know what that's like trying to prove yourself up the ladder to be able to make people trust that you will make good decisions.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, come on, like I can do this. And, you know, and then I was always proving myself. So anyway, so this is kind of cool. So then, I worked there for a couple of months and they're giving me random jobs and I'm not that happy. And anyway, up comes one day, they say, Albert, why not you, have you ever thought about trying sales? And I said, no, no. And they are like, well, would you be open to it? And we had, so we had sales reps throughout the country and they said, well, like we can give you sales territory and you can try your hand at sales and you know, whatever. Uh, apply your business skills, and it's basically like, let's let's get rid of them, get them out of corporate, and you know, get them out of our hair. So then they said oh, there are a couple of openings. You can go to LA, you can go to New York, or you can go to Miami. Wow! And I had been to Miami in two thousand three for a weekend, and I thought the place was pretty spectacular. Um, went down again in, in January, February. Um, and at that time, I was working on a project for the company in Chicago. There were falling ice signs on Michigan Avenue, and I was wearing long johns under my dress pants. Mm. But I remember, you know, Miami was probably warm, so I flew down to Miami again and met up with a friend who actually had studied at the same uh, hotel school with me. And nice. he lived in this great apartment. Went wakeboard before work, and. I said to myself, you know, maybe taking a sales territory would not be bad and it could be Miami. So the next thing you know, I, you know, take off, drive from D.C. all the way down to Miami in July 2004 and take over South, basically South Florida sales for my, my dad's company. Wow. wow.
3: Yeah. And, and then t- from
2: there, um... I tripled sales within two years. And awesome.
0: What do you think? What do you What do you think you did? What What did you implement to triple sales? Just grind. (laughs) Just grind.
2: Grind. Connecting. Networking. Just putting your effort into it. Using my skills, my knowledge. You know, my knowledge as a a pastry chef, and I'm also a trained uh, chef as well on the culinary side. I got that
0: through my studies in Lausanne. So, so, all the all these things came to head, right? All, all the everything verdicts. came together. That's amazing, and that's why I wanted to point that out in the beginning, because I'm sure it has helped you be well rounded, especially in sales when you can talk about the product and have that expertise. Um, that's yeah. amazing. That's great. Yeah. So you
2: know, I'm like the the real deal, the full package. I walk into a kitchen and I was fearless. everybody said, "Oh, you're fearless because you're named Albert Euster? and I was like, "No." <laughs> Again, the hater said that. Yeah. But um, I said, no, it's because I know my stuff. I know the business side. I know sales. I know the product. Awesome. I can talk the chef's talk and, you know, present. I can go toe-to-toe with them, you know, preparing all the things. And that's what I did, slowly but surely. Worked my way up. And then took on uh, regional sales territory. Then took over cruise lines and export sales. Worked my way up to regional manager. Then... I had uh, basically half the country under me Wow! and then um, when I left the company I was doing uh, corporate sales I was the basically business development vice president of business development um, and I was in charge of the Google account which was at the time one of our largest accounts Um, and yeah that's amazing. Kept on going, and that was up until
0: 2018.
2: Okay. 2018, I, um, I had the opportunity to uh, step away from the company, and um, then in no, sorry, 2017. As I was like, yeah, 2017, and 2018, we sold the company.
0: Okay. My
2: family and I. And. From there, that was actually kind of uh, prescient in a few respects. I um, ended up working for the competition at twice the salary.
3: At yeah. twice the salary
2: because they were always <laughs> underpaying me. Family it.
1: family business. I get that. Family, <laughs> I, family business. They yes. Didn't, they didn't value yeah.
2: me. They so like, yeah, this, this is just the – every time I asked for a raise, they were like, why do you think you get a raise? I was like, like it's all yours anyway. I always get to like – and <laughs> you know, I'm like, like but I need to live you know and they're like well well why are you, using, are you asking because you think you're special I was like no because I'm good <laughs> and like like, look at the sales numbers
0: were <laughs>
1: you married at this time?
0: that
2: time I'm still single
1: oh you, um, forgive me
0: <laughs> he he didn't do it the Mormon way.
1: What? No, I wasn't. I wasn't asking <laughs> that,
0: I'm just saying that because I got teased in in our in our elementary and high school. I was always one of four or five yeah. uh, Mormons, and <laughs> and and uh, the, we you know we got married at 21, 22. Albert, most of our friends are you know uh-huh. really 30s and 40s getting married. there's a big difference. Oh, I always yes, got made sir. fun of, so I I get to make fun too. <laughs> I just nice. I was
1: curious because bringing a wife into a family business is a whole nother ball game. Uh,
2: <laughs> so that's why I was curious. Yeah, no, I'm still single at the time. And then um so yeah, where were we? Then we sold the business and then went to work for the competition and then um you know then COVID happened. Mm. Um and the family business that
0: we had just sold. Good time sold, to sell it, right?
2: It was exactly sold to the height. Yep. A year wow. later, they let, so we, we got up to 150 employees and, um, you know, around, they were doing around $50 million, $56 million in awesome. sales. Awesome. And then COVID hit and they let two thirds of the employees go. Oh, wow. And sales plummeted. They lost a lot of exclusivity with the the vendors mm-hmm. and um you know I was uh luckily you know off in a different direction with a new company. Wow. And um <clears throat> when we go so yeah, um COVID happened I went to this new company and I work for them still now, still today, even in spite of my illness I am the senior vice president of sales and marketing for White Toke, which is a company that does frozen specialty food products in the B2B space. Yeah. And we, we supply hotels, restaurants, cruise lines, country clubs, um, you know, casinos, you name it across the board with everything from croissants and Danish IQF, uh, individual quick frozen fruits and vegetables, uh, desserts, uh, and churros, a bunch of different products. Yeah. And um, yeah, I had up a sales team now, about 20 people. And we just had a record year last year. Um, Congrats. Thanks. Thanks. It eclipsed uh, everything that I had in my old company and my father's company. We hit 120 million last year, well, 100, wow. no, 129 million. And we're still going strong right now. And this year is hitting out of the park. We're expanding um, opportunities left and right. And um,
0: it's an exciting space to be in. Well, this is this. So this podcast is meant, <clears throat> meant for this specific reason. You have a condition. We'll get into that in a minute. And you're doubling your sales productivity in your career. You're impacting your community. Uh, we'll get into some of the some I want to also talk about some of the hobbies you've done but being able to thrive in business you've sold you sold the business at, at at the height you got went on with your competitor um you've been able to keep thriving with the condition that you have which is you know just we'll get into that but that that's what this is about you are thriving with a serious condition and uh and you're an amazing person i've wanted to I've been so excited to get you on this podcast and talk about your 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 career and what you who you were growing up and um, you know just cl- class A type person. Let's talk real. Let's talk real quick about marathons and high, and climbing mountains before we get into some of the heavier stuff. Cool, cool.
2: Yeah, so um, marathons and mountains, all stuff. So I've been. I guess I never consider myself an athlete, but I guess. I've always, now in hindsight, I was always a lifelong athlete. Um, did normally the sports, not just, um, you know, football around the neighborhood. That's where I remember yeah. playing with you. And, like, great. Yeah. Yeah. Pick up football games in the in the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, but then in high school, I became, I kind of told myself I wanted to be a runner. Mm-hmm. And um, didn't do too well at that. The coaches... They saw me as a runner because I was pretty lean Mm -hmm. and uh, fairly tall. And some of my friends were runners. So they sent me out as a track team of runners and I ended up getting tendonitis. Mm. Then I got tendonitis like two or three years in a row. And all through high school, I was just injured. I was always at the getting bandaged up. Oh, (laughs) man. But I don't know. They are tenacious as well and after high school i'm 17 and i was like i still want to be a runner and um let me actually backtrack from there yeah yeah please. the reason the reason why i kind of like running is because when i was 12 i was hit by a car i
0: and didn't know that you did i don't remember man man
2: i'm the one that wasn't hit by a car i was in a, I was in a coma <laughs> Gosh.
0: I Tell us yeah, a little so, bit about that.
2: Yeah, so I was in seventh grade. I'm 12 years old. Um, crazy story. My mom, we she didn't leave the house. She had a headache. I said, no problem, mom. I'll go get some aspirin for you because we didn't have any aspirin in the house. So I take my skateboard because like, everybody's skateboarding at the time in 1987. And ring my neighbor's door. We rolled over to South Lake's. Uh, shopping center, like, two miles from my house. We get aspirin and, like, a couple other things. And then I'm pushing the skateboard, you know, kicking it one foot on the skateboard across, like, riding back home. And I get up to this crosswalk, and it's getting kind of, like, around dusk, I guess. Yeah. And I'm in the crosswalk, pushing the skateboard across the street. And... A car comes around, one headlight doesn't see me, hits me mm. going like 35, 40 miles an hour.
0: Wow. I hit the I, windshield. I vaguely remember this, vaguely.
2: <laughs> yeah, I vaguely remember, but I tell the story so many Gosh. times. In
0: green. So I had one headlight hitting you at full speed, basically. Full speed. Wow.
2: And yeah, so I hit the windshield, sent me flying like 200 feet in the air. <gasps> um. And I landed on the street. I hit my head. I was knocked unconscious. Uh, broke my femur, tibia, and fibula as a compound fracture. Oh, wow. Lost, like, I think, like, seven pints of blood. I think we have eight in mm-hmm. our body. So I lost almost all my blood. Got major transfusions. They medevaced me to Fairfax Hospital. Um, like, I was in a coma for six days afterwards. Wow and uh woke up like you know without any memory and severe head injury in the hospital more or less for three months after that and then was in traction and a body cast and then you know one leg hinge cast and
0: went back to school um beginning of april in a wheelchair Mm. seventh grade I was gonna say that wasn't elementary because we were in what was it, Berkhalter?
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> that wasn't it. Wasn't six because we were together in sixth grade with Berkhalter, if I remember correctly. And so yeah, yeah. seventh grade. Oh, wow. So that, seventh,
2: Langston Hughes.
0: Yeah.
2: Langston Hughes and Reston. Yep. And um, yeah, so go back to school in a wheelchair. Um, i fully recovered, but I'm doing you know physical therapy. Throughout that year, continued doing it in 1988 to get stronger and and then was out of sports for like a year, but uh, made a full recovery, graduated, like, made it to the next year in school, mm-hmm. seventh grade to eighth grade, even like, got tutors. And anyhow, that kind of made me, anyway, at an early age, realize that you know, I dodged a bullet. I, um, yeah, you really did. Got a second lease on life.
0: and It was a long recovery, and you went through a lot, but, yeah, I mean, you lived through it.
2: Yeah, so I thought, you know, like, I don't know. And something I just started thinking, when I did stuff, I said, because I can. Yeah. Because I'm because I'm able. <laughs> yeah. And now coming back to the running story, it's kind of like, I want to be a runner because I can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to like, you know, everybody says they hate running, but I kind of like it because I can and I can move forward on my with my own two feet and my legs. Mm-hmm. And that was almost taken away from me. So all the more reason. So I just started running a little bit when I moved to Switzerland for my apprenticeship. I started signing up for 10K races. And... Um, drove all around with my car to, like <coughs> entering these little 10k races, some in the mountains some in the valleys, some around lakes all in beautiful settings must
0: be beautiful, yeah
2: so, like I told you, I have yeah. to you all those I all saw those some of the pictures I was yeah. the, the tips for those trips <laughs> you're going to take yeah, so started running and I was also a, always a passionate biker uh, road bikes, so did those all the time and in, the, in my time in Switzerland, I'd bike, I'd run, and go skiing. Then I started into mountain climbing. Um, then I started entering every race I could. Uh, then I started doing marathons, half marathons, and that got a little bit tiring. I, or, like, I got tired of doing it. Mm-hmm. I wanted a bigger challenge, I started doing alpine marathons. Wow. That's uh, like a marathon with altitude climb. And then started. My dream was to do triathlons, and I was always worried about the swimming part. And now we get to where I get a wife, or I get hmm. a girlfriend. Get introduced, to my yeah,
0: wife. Clarissa.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs> she she wants to know about the kids and the wife and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. We're, I we're, know. We're I'm
3: all about, about
2: <laughs>
1: relationships and dynamics there. And sorry. Yeah, yeah. All right.
2: Yeah, so so we get there, and um, no, so I'm living in Miami, and I'm two years into my time in Miami, and there's a friend of mine, I can tell you, he's like, he got a, I had a barbecue at his uh, apartment at this place called the Flamingo in South Beach. Mm. Now, the Flamingo in South Beach is an apartment building, and pretty famous as well as infamous for some cool parties, crazy parties, an uh, interesting group of, it's 1,500 apartments, to put it in perspective. And like a lot of interesting people living there. People like to have a lot of fun. So, and everybody's pretty young. We had this barbecue at a friend's house and his girlfriend at the time had brought a friend along who was getting bored and was gonna leave. So his girlfriend knew me, also lived in the building, and said, hey, Albert, come down. I want to introduce you to somebody. So I go down to this barbecue, and she introduces me to her friend, and says, Albert, this is Maury. Maury does triathlons. And goes, Maury, this is Albert, he does marathons. <laughs> and then I was like, what? a girl who does triathlon, and she's like, oh, a guy who does marathons and we were like, <laughs> like, like, if the word goober is a good word here and yeah, we were like goobers, we were like, oh my god, like, poking each other, like, you, you do, like, races, that's cool. So, <laughs> after we did the, you know, the barbecue and like, oh, I have to put it, you this, my friend, and if, if you ever watch this podcast, it's great. His name is Neil. He is like his apartment. If you ever wondered in Sesame Street what Oscar the Grouch's place where he lived looked like, he <laughs> was he Neil's grows. apartment.
4: <laughs> wow! It was Neil's apartment. I mean, like the way plate to describe it.
2: Paper plates with uh, cold pizza in his kitchen. Stuff growing in pots. Um, the smell. Wow, of you're,
0: th- you're throwing him under the bus on this podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah, but it's all true. So yeah, it's all true. But yeah, so um anyway, so the the crowd rolls out of there and they all say, We're gonna go party and go clubbing and this new uh interesting female that I had met and says, Well, I'm not going. So I say, Well, if if you're not going, I'm not gonna go. <laughs> But if you're not going to go, that means it's, like, midnight, and we're going to bed early, so then let's go biking tomorrow. So she said, okay. Awesome. And the next thing you know, we went for a two-hour bike ride. Wow. On Key Gain and back, and I said, let's go have lunch. And then after lunch, uh, I said, what are you doing for dinner? And then when we say goodbye, I said, what are you doing tomorrow? And then... We went on, like, six consecutive dates. So, like, when we're nice. doing that dinner tomorrow, I'm going to come to my place, I'll cook, and, and then, and then. And then, next thing you know, um, we were dating. So, you weren't um, playing
0: hard to get. That's, that's, that's... Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. But then,
2: February, um, for Valentine's Day, 2006, she gives me a card. And the card has an entrance to a sprint triathlon, mm. and my to enter a sprint triathlon, you have to get a license for the triathlon association. And last year, <clears throat> so suddenly I'm a triathlete, and did my first triathlon in 2006.
0: Wow! And, and she and she had done it before. She's done a couple sprints, yeah. Yeah.
2: So we started off doing them together, awesome. and then we. Like I fell in love with the sport, and she then uh, so in fast forward 2008 we get married, then we have our first kid 2010. She says, "All right, no more triathlons for me. I'm getting too scared." Now with the kids, and we have a second kid in 2011, and I'm still like taking my time doing the triathlons. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And anyway, fast forward to. Like, 2020, I racked up about, mm, I don't know, like, I don't know travel anymore, but on this um, website called athlink.com, mm-hmm. you can track a lot of races, and most of them pop up automatically that you've done, mm-hmm. under you enter your name, and there I have about 160 wow races that I've done yeah. over the last, you know, 20 years or so, so... Um, I got addicted and, uh, signed up for every 10K, every triathlon and went from sprint triathlons to international distance to half Ironman and did about nine half Ironman triathlons. Um, grinding them out, you know, putting in the hours and and not in training, putting Mm -hmm. it into the race, but, you know, sometimes could have trained a little bit more, (laughs) but, uh, yeah. That was so, my you, life. so you Ooh. were
0: raising kids, you were thriving in your career. You were out doing your thing physically and, and running these, uh, triathlons and, and such. It's amazing. And that's why I wanted to make sure we <laughs> highlighted that. Cause I didn't know there was that many races on the website, but I wanted to make sure I highlighted climbing the mountains and, and doing all the marathons and triathlons. Um, I've never done one. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I hate running. Um, I know I need mm-hmm. to. I actually have. Run, nice. I, I did it twice this week, and it's probably the first time in a long time. But so that's it's very inspiring, Albert. Yeah. So do um,
2: sure that. Like the reason I was doing it goes back to having lost yeah. the ability, yeah. and I kind of said, "Cause I can, and if I don't, I'm I'm like not living up to my potential." Mm. So, like, and then I was like, "Wait, I can run 40. You know, I can run 26.2 miles. Maybe I can even run more." So then I started doing uh, ultra marathons. Wow! Uh, I did a race in Vietnam, which was uh, 250 kilometers in six Mm. days in the mountains of northwest Vietnam with a full backpack, where we had our sleeping bag and all the all supplies we had for six days and clothes and everything. Um, And that was my biggest race. That's amazing! Um, Amazing. So that was. That was fun and pushing the limits. And then I climbed the Mont Blanc, the highest mountain in Europe. Um, just, you know, became a scuba diver when I was down in Mexico. Um, started pushing out, like doing extreme sports with my thing.
0: I was skydiver
2: wow. as well. Done. About, how,
0: many, how many times have you done that? Yeah, not
2: that many. I've done like 15 jumps.
0: That's awesome. Yeah,
2: Not Not not, that that many.
0: No, that's a lot for me. (laughs) I know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, like always just because I can. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. why? You know, it's like I can push the boundaries and let's see where it goes. And to your point, so that's kind of the my metaphor for life um, or my my mantra or my go-to is because I can Mm. and apply that in business as well as in
0: um, you know physical challenges it's amazing. so many accomplishments yeah, that. and, and 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 you're still accomplishing so much. um we've we've we're coming on about fifty minutes here. do you, should we jump into uh condition and you educate us and <clears throat> those listening on uh, what condition you have and i i'm uh I'm just so amazed at uh, your your humility. you're a high performer at all levels. Um, your attitude, just, you know, we've reconnected here in the past couple of months and your outlook on life uh, with your condition that you're about to talk about and your attitude is absolutely inspiring and is the highlight um, of this year for me, to be honest with you. So um, let's, let's talk about that. My wife has MS and, and she can't run anymore. and She can't do exercising and at the, in the gym anymore. And it's been devastating to watch and it's taking away some of her abilities and in photography. So, you know, I've, I've told her about you and the inspiration and your attitude and how you're approaching what phase you're at in life. Now it's, it's truly inspiring. And I, and I, you know, you're our first guest and you're our first guest for a reason. So let's, let's, let's get into some heavy topics. And
2: thanks for that. uh, Yeah. Team that up like that. That's kind. Um, Yeah. You know, so that's how I've led my life up to this point. Um, fast and furious, I guess. Um, no regrets. Um, just always, you know, kind of, you know, taking every day making the most of it. And then suddenly, um, let's, let's go back. That was, uh, May, 2020, you know, Mm -hmm. COVID happened and, um, Everybody's like the world stands still and I was like, all right, then let's just, you know, I have more time to train now. So I'm out there training hard, but like for no more races because they've all been canceled. But, um, mm. you know, pushing myself, going out there, running, biking every day early in the morning, either three miles, five miles, and then 20 miles on the bike and then some swimming in the pool. Wow! And then one day in May 2020, I'm riding my bike on my tri bike and uh, doing a loop on kibis gain and I suddenly have problems holding my neck up or my head up on the tri bike. And like basically, as you see right now, I have trouble holding my head up. That's what mm-hmm. the first thing was that, uh, neck weakness and I had problem breathing. So then I'm like, what's going on? Went back, uh, finished the lap, went home. And I told my wife, and she said, "Well, why don't you go see a chiropractor?" All right, so I go see a chiropractor, and he does all these tests, and he goes, "Yeah, but you know, weak neck." It's like who has a weak neck? Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't make sense. I'm strong. I mean, I was like benching 150, 160. I was doing 50 push-ups at a drop. I was I could do a triathlon, you know, in the drop of a hat. I could swim, you know, a mile or two without. You know without any big deal i'd run 10k just like you know any other week and suddenly this guy tells me i have a weak neck so then he starts doing exercises he puts weight on my head exercising futility i couldn't do it and but we do that for like four or six weeks and then go see an ent ent says um let's let's check your nose Oh, you have a deviated septum, and let's do an allergy test. Okay. Oh, you we were actually allergic to like 80% of things on my panel. Jeez. So then they start me on uh, Zyrtec, and so I'm taking Zyrtec, and I know I have a deviated septum, and I have a weak neck. And then that guy sent me to a neurologist, and the time I'm still like, again, strong and I have a weak neck, but. I don't know why he's sending me to a neurologist. So then uh, the neurologist says, like, hold your arms up by your side and don't let me push them down. And then he goes, yeah, there's slight weakness on the left side. Mm. And I said, come on, man. Let me do it again. And he goes, all right. Slight weakness on the left side. He's like, ah, come on. One more time. I'm competitive, you know? Yeah. So I was like, yeah, you can't tell me I'm weak. I'm like strong. He goes, yeah, okay. And anyway, it's Lady on the left side. They like, does the other tests, like pulling my arms and pushing my hands, and ultimately, like, you know, looks at me relatively sternly and then says, you know, I'm going to send you to another ALS, another neurologist. He's an ALS specialist. Mm. And I have no idea what that means. Like, I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's like, roll off my back like water. I'm like, wow. Sure, no problem. And then, um, that guy wouldn't have an in-person appointment until like February. Oh my gosh. So he, did a Zoom, he did a Zoom call with me, misdiagnosed me with myasthenic gravis over a Zoom call mm-hmm. and gave me a prescription. And I said, I'm not going to take this prescription. This is like, this doesn't seem right. And then my wife, who works for a, a multinational company. Has a friend who works for the same company up in Boston whose husband works at MGH, uh, Massachusetts General, Ho- Massachusetts okay. General Hospital, yeah. Harvard. And he said, if Albert needs, like any, and suspects anything, get him up to MGH. We'll, we'll, like, run the best test on mm-hmm. anything and you know, get him taken care of. So the following week, I not know, the following week, was like, you know, in January, early January, I fly up to Boston. They do a test and it's not myasthenia gravis. So, like, they say, We don't know. Can you come back next week? Next week, they do a test and say, Nope, it's not myasthenia gravis. Let me let the other neurologist come back in and say, Yep, it's not myasthenia gravis. It's ALS. So, wow. we gone like, there's like, it wasn't like a big shock. Like, I want
0: how, how much time went by.
2: So, from the first time they told me the symptoms, that was like from October to January. Oh, wow. I've been going through like reading about all kinds of possibilities.
0: This is the height of COVID, too.
2: Yeah, height of of COVID. Yeah, so
0: hard to get in. Telemedicine just became a thing, Um, right? They allowed um, doctors to have more openness about what they did uh, with telemedicine laws. So, wow. Travel, travel, all the restrictions, wearing masks, not knowing what you have. That's a lot.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so they say, hey, can you have your wife come up with you that second time she was with me? We get this diagnosis ALS and we're both kind of looking at each other in disbelief like, you know, what does this mean?
0: And I'm like shell-shocked, kind of like this is weird, like did um, you know? Did you know anything about ALS at the time?
2: Nah, not really. I mean, Stephen Hawking's and like, you know, like randomly, mm-hmm. you know, Luke Gehrig. Yeah, but like nothing, you know, nothing deep.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So then um, they started me on uh, a few drugs treatment right away. End of January, 2020. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, 2021. Mm-hmm. And yeah, ever since then, um, you know, like I said, symptom onset was... May 2020 took me six months to figure out, put oh, all what? pieces together and Jeez. they try and do it through a process, process of elimination. They say some people take something longer to find out. Um, six months is actually fast. Okay. So other people will be going down rabbit holes for a year or two, at which time the disease will actually progress. So it's important to find know, it, quick. it early. And I guess, you know, much earlier I couldn't diagnose it, but maybe like a month or two if i hadn't gotten to run around with the doctor but um then i started treatment a number of drugs uh rilisol nudexta um started on another one called radicaba um infusions shortly thereafter and yeah suddenly i'm sucked into this world of hospitals doctor's visits and medicine
0: how, at the how- same time
2: while i'm still working
0: Right. Yes. Yeah, so while still working, were you, were you running? Were you doing anything during this time? What, what, sure. what, what were your symptoms like?
2: Yeah, at that time I'm still running. I'm still active, and you know, it kept on getting harder and harder. But I was like, you know, push through. Push through. I was still running three to five miles in the morning. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. You know, drop off the kids from school, then run a couple laps on the track, out onto the beach, back. I hit the gym relatively hard, and kept on going like that, up until, probably, end of 2021. So that lasted, like, almost a year, that I was still able to do stuff. And then, um, yeah, um, got progressively harder. Um, It was, uh, I went on a trip, actually. I don't know if I go in there. but the end of 2021, went on a family trip and we went to the Galapagos. My wife's from Ecuador. So that was uh, one thing we could do during COVID. Mm-hmm. We got in this boat and there I went scuba diving and I hyperventilated underwater and mm. literally almost died because mm. like I couldn't regulate the air. Mm. And I was like, Sucking in, blowing out airs, you know, I went through a whole tank oh. in like 20 minutes while everybody else would have been like, you know, down for much longer had it not been for me. And still not knowing what I had like completely, um, I've gone to, I've gone mountain climbing as well. And, um, you know, still in spite of it, I didn't know what my limitations were. But, um, I knew that it was tough. So, <clears throat> long story short, like, my energy levels kept on going downhill mm-hmm. over 2020, 2021, and 2022 more. And, you know, but I kept on working, and I'm still working now.
0: Yeah, let's and let's then, go into that a little bit. I was amazed at your, your work as being good with, with this, uh, um, new, um, lifestyle that you have to live with once you describe that a little bit i thought that was awesome what they're allowing and and what you're able to still do and let's dive into that because again you yeah. have the you have the can-do attitude and while a lot of people are bunkering down during covid you're out with a major condition still running miles and scuba diving and conquering the world it's it's, it's incredible it's inspiring so let's discuss you know go into what you're able to do now and 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 uh describe that a little bit
2: yeah. So with work, I had the fortune of, um, you know, a boss that's uh really understanding say we support you hundred percent. Let me know when, and if you have uh, more troubles. Uh, but for me, you know, like until you tell me you can't, uh, you can do You're you're in charge. So I continue my day to day. Um, Actually, again, moved from vice president to senior vice president of Amazing. sales and marketing, and growing the sales have a great, have a great rapport, and still do with the uh, sales team, getting the best of them, best out of them, and pushing and driving, and uh, again working on the success of the company, and business, and trying to hone you know, my skills or my my um my personal challenges like try to keep them yeah in uh, in check but, like you know like the challenges <laughs> in check but like keep pushing on in all fronts it's amazing. so it's
0: amazing albert
4: i have a question yeah so did you ever discuss this with your children at this point cuz i mean i'm sure they're seeing the effect on you going from riding the bike or swimming everything to just coming down from all this and what if and what was the discussion if you don't mind me asking sure
2: so we kept um, the official diagnosis uh, telling them it's ALS we kept it uh, under wraps for and what was it the better part of I guess up until last year So we always said, like, yeah, your dad is just slowing down. Um, You know, we don't know what it is. We didn't want them to be afraid. So we didn't want them, like, to know the label that they go Google ALS and start reading, you know, scary things and getting worried. So we waited until...
4: And how old were your children? Or are they your children?
2: So my children
4: are now 11 and 12. Okay.
2: So um, when they were... Ten and eleven is when we told them, and um we didn't want to spoil their it was like it was right before they were going to summer camp in twenty twenty one i guess, so when they came back from summer camp twenty twenty one and the one we told them
3: right.
2: um, and you know it was like, it was amazing they've actually since then as well as now they're very understanding um they're very compassionate they're well rounded they' They understand, you know, um, how to like, I don't know, like, they, they're very helpful and caring. They, they a- accommodate me and, uh, you know, I, I also communicate, I think I communicate well with them, telling them, um, you know, that I'm dealing with it in a good way and it's nothing that, should, like, they have to be afraid of. Absolutely. And... Yeah. And something I can say there is goes back to the way we raised them. My wife is Catholic and I uh basically lived my life as a agnostic atheist. Um, you know, secular, like I didn't have a religion. I didn't really I officially am Protestant. Um I have passport in Switzerland. But um I didn't go to church and um, don't have a big uh, belief system. However, when I got married to my wife, they said, all right, well, you're Catholic, so we're going to have this interfaith marriage. So we go to a couple's house, and they say, all right, we'll fill out this form. And my wife fills it out. She's Catholic, blah, blah, blah. And I fill it out. And they get the paper back, and they go, okay, Albert. So, and Mari, thank you. We have to forms. And, okay, start with you, Albert. Albert, you're a Buddhist. Mm-hmm. And my wife goes, he's not a Buddhist. <laughs> and they go, now, Amari we're here, and this is an interfaith marriage thing, and this is why we're here. This is a counseling. You have to accept his faith. And they're like, but he's not Buddhist. And he's like, we're <laughs> without laughing again. And I'm like, well, if you have to corner me and say, choose a religion, like, what do you believe in? I was like, all right, well, Buddhism is something I've always dabbled in. So I'm putting down Buddhist. If you put down Catholic, I'm putting down Buddhist. (laughs) And uh, that punctuated there. So, yeah. So fast forward to the kids. I've raised the kids as, uh, so I've, I've, I've done much more reading and learning in depth about Buddhism and meditation and Mm. all of that. Um, And I use that as my teaching mechanism for the boys while my my wife raises them as Catholic. Now, fast forward with the disease. um, I feel like Buddhism has given me an amazing strength and resilience to see past um, what I'm dealing with and Allows me to kind of, and Buddhism just fits really well with my belief system and my, my life and my values and the challenges that I've always taken upon myself with races and, mm-hmm. and the huge challenges and like Buddhism is the path. The path is the way and <clears throat> you create the reality, you live life in the present, you don't worry about the past, you plan for the future. So I tell my boys, listen, we know we know we're here in the present. We have to live in the present. We're not we don't, we're not going to be here forever, but we have the time together now. So I use that um, the Buddhist philosophy
0: to teach them it's about life as beautiful. well as about my disease. It's beautiful, Albert. That
2: is beautiful. Yeah. yeah.
0: Talk about what you did this past mm-hmm. weekend. You sent me some cool pictures. With your, with your boys?
2: Last weekend, what did we do? Uh, football,
0: football, some flag football.
2: Ah, thank you, thank you, yes, yes. I forgot, like, my head's spinning with all of the games we go to. So, yeah, <clears throat> yeah so my biggest uh, joy, I'd say, is, uh, you know, watching my kids grow up and what I'm able to pass on to them. And this past weekend, they had a couple of pretty cool flag football games, um, my youngest, uh, the names are Matthias and Albert as well. Mm. He's Albert the sixth. I was the wow. fifth. Was there, the
1: th- there are six of you. That is a yeah, pretty yeah. important name.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> pretty cool. So we kept that tradition going. And, uh, then my wife said for the second, I was like, she deferred to me on the first one and said, all right. I'll give it to you. And then the second one, she goes, all right. But the second one has to be like a Spanish name. So we aligned on Matias. I love that. Nice. And so Matias had this amazing flag football game this weekend. And he is uh, like just a dynamic little guy. I mean, he's, a bit, he's
0: growing up as well. But um, he was playing he, some with some six four. This is eighth graders, exactly, right? Exactly. One, one was six four. These were some big kids. <laughs>
2: So my son is um you know a decent size for an eleven year old. But he plays so well. He's playing with um uh, kids that are coming from another school, um, like an inter regional team or whatever. And they're eighth graders. My son is in fifth grade. He's like four foot I don't know, eight. <laughs> and this other kid's six foot four in eighth grade. So the crazy thing is like I'm talking, like he ends up scoring three touchdowns. They get they win the game 36 to 30. The other team, um, and, and so my son scores three touchdowns. They end up yeah. scoring four in total and some other field goals, I don't know, whatever. However, he gets 36. And with 40 seconds left in the game, and so with 40 seconds left in the game, it was 30 to 30, and then they score a touchdown. Awesome. That still it. And these other kids from this other school who are older, they all—I like, don't know if they all—but uh, for hyperbole and the emphasis of this call of this uh, chat here, they all started crying. Awesome. For awesome. the game against fifth graders. And all the, literally! All the even, you mean? Have you ever seen the movie *Sandlot*? Oh my gosh! That teeth. was
1: filmed here in Utah. No way! Yeah, just right in Midvale.
2: So, so that, it's close to mom. home. My son's team is exactly like that. There's my son, who's a little guy. And then there's a fat guy, and there's a tall guy, and somehow they beat the guys oh my that are gosh. like the like you know the, the jaguars with their like you know like names on yeah. like jerseys and crazy organized.
1: That is awesome.
0: So yeah. sounds sounds like a sounds like he got that from his pops. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So Albert, what would you like to tell? podcast and the people about you know your, your <clears throat> career community condition uh, the, the message is clear if we can do things we should be doing them no yeah. excuses no excuses no covid excuse no get out there and do it if you can what else what else would you like to say
2: yeah i mean that's my motto get out there and do it if you can because you can while you can don't sit back and uh, wait for something to happen to you. You have to make your reality. You have to seize the moment. Again, live life in the present. Um, right now, with ALS, I was thrown this curveball. I quickly figured out, you know, what what it means, what I need to do. i told you about the medicine, the doctors, the mm-hmm. diagnosis. Got that lined up. Once I did that, I was, you know. I said, all right, now, let's reset, and this is a new life, but like I can't give up um gotta keep going, and like I'm still working and uh how do you, and why do you
0: why do you work
2: to um well that's a good question <laughs>
0: no I think no. I, I, lo- I love it because you know I, one night we get into some of my podcasts about my story. I'll talk about why I work, but why do you work still? So I work because, I mean, work, I give
2: back to, I I, I thrive with a team setting. I thrive with motivating people. I thrive with, um, you know, setting a goal and beating it. Um, and, you know, working obviously to serve as a role model for my kids, show them what's possible in spite of everything, and never give up and, um, you know always apply themselves and like, just to put in in perspective, my, my kids right now, 11 and 12, 11, 11 and 12, fifth and seventh grade, straight A students, they come home, they're doing their homework, they're doing their project, it's insane, like they're, I, and I drive the point home every day to them. Listen, it's because you can, and I don't wanna see anything less than your full potential. And I stay on top of them, I like lead by example, and I'd say, <clears throat> um, like I said, like, just make the most of the here and now. Mm-hmm. And um, it sets you up for the future, but you can't dwell in the past. And you have to make the most of, like, like the powers that you have, the you know, things you have control of.
0: Powerful. Can you talk a little bit, you've told me about support groups that you go to and you talked about how um, they're shocked that you were so positive about your current Uh, condition. And can you talk about that a little bit? That's powerful. There's help out there. What are you doing uh, in those support groups and talk, talk about that a little bit. Sure.
2: So for ALS, they have uh, groups. If you're recently diagnosed, you can call into these zoom calls and Um, I dial in or have dialed in the past several times. I was actually on one just before I jumped over to this one. Oh my gosh. Was, uh, thank, thank you for the, doing this. It's called a fireside chat with ALS uh, patients. And they were talking about one guy who actually, uh, I don't know how true it is, but I hope it's true. actually has a reversal of ALS wow. on a few oh. cases. So, um, Dr. Richard Bedlock is at Duke university. One of the leading neurologists working on ALS. He um, apparently has a case of reversal. So people are sharing their stories on this podcast. I didn't jump on that one to to engage, but on other ones, I'm on these calls and you know, everybody shares a story. And most of them are sitting around on their couches. And they've given up. They kind of said like, you know, I have this disease, and you know, I can't do anything anymore. And I'm usually dialing in from my office that we work with my headset on, um, apologizing for coming late, but uh, give my two cents worth and uh, tell them my diagnosis and then and, then. And, and afterwards, everybody's asking for my phone number and email as I tell them what my, my treatment is, what my plan is, what, how I'm responding. To um, the condition and how I'm overcoming it, and how um, you
0: you shed light, you shed just absolutely past it. It's it's amazing, it's so so beautiful. Wow. And 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 just talking about the seriousness of this condition, and with, with it's a, it takes an emotional toll, like you said, on your kids and your wife and your work and everything. And your positive attitude just helps everything. It, it, yeah, it's just so my,
2: this is actually a beautiful thing. My wife, she sometimes says you know albert it's um the reason we as a family are fine is because you're fine love it Absolutely. your attitude yep like makes the children like not be afraid they're they feel safe and mm-hmm. secure because you're not you're not you know running like around the house with your head like a chicken its head cut off you're you're showing that you're you're fine so they're fine, and they're good in school. They, Like I said, they kept their, their grades up. I support them everywhere I can. If I can go to their matches or mm-hmm. uh, play football, I engage with them as much as I can. I always used to cook with them and show them how to cook. Now I can't use my hands anymore or my arms. So I, uh, I choke. I'm like, if you have seen the movie Ratatou- Ratatouille? Mm-hmm. Like uh, basically pulling their hands or telling them, you know, pour them. Pour the flour in there, pour the water in there, move the pot over here. And um, suddenly my wife is now, who hates cooking, doesn't know how to cook. She's suddenly forced to be in the kitchen with the kids, and I'm telling everybody how to do everything.
4: Yeah.
2: So we're having a good time cooking family meals together. We have more meals at home now, more meals together as a family. It's brought us closer together and sharing you know, thoughts and emotions and how we feel about each other how we feel about life
0: um and to put a different perspective on things wow so powerful uh, mm-hmm. albert thank you so much for sharing uh, your story no my pleasure thank you for having me yeah it makes me it makes me emotional and i'm not an emotional person so <laughs> Um, again, your your attitude, and I've said this now a hundred times on this podcast. <clears throat> your, your attitude gives me strength. It gives your family strength. It hopefully gives strength to the listeners out there. Continue to do amazing things. Continue continue to be an inspiration to us. Um, it, it's your your story not not just surviving with the condition and thriving, but your the the triathlons, marathons, the. Going to school for seven, eight years, living and speaking, how many languages? Four or five languages? Like five languages? Yeah. Yeah. You've you've just you've done so much in life. We wanted to highlight that. We wanted to highlight how you thrive with your condition. Thank you for taking the time.
4: Yeah, Albert, I, I want to say something, Albert. You, you're just you're freaking amazing. You inspire <laughs> me. I'm sitting here in awe. Usually, oh, you know, so, I can so. be talking away, and I'm just like. I'm I'm overcome you know whether you know it or not you are a hero you know to your family to us I'm uh, I don't know what to say you know thanks other than I am your biggest fan and if I can do anything for you I will I absolutely that's love awesome. you and want to be in service to you so thanks. that's awesome yeah, you're amazing
2: oh wait let me add one thing today was yes. kind of cool on the on the front of like, amazing things. So my life has been amazing. It's like, it's crazy. It's like serendipity, just like everything right. falls into place in a weird way all the time. I always have, like, these pinch-me moments, and I used to have these pinch-me moments when things were going great, and to my, to my wife, I can't believe our life. It's, like, perfect. There's there's nothing wrong. And then suddenly ALS comes along, and, you know, suddenly it resets, and we have to figure things out. But yeah. Now I'm on another one of these tracks of, like, serendipity and pinch-me moments, and you know, rolling along and like, I'm engaged with the ALS association, um, locally and nationally. I work with MGH, um, to raise money for, uh, research. I work with, um, the, what was the other one? Um, there was the, I'm sorry, another organization, Augie's Quest, I failed to mention that earlier. Augie Neto unfortunately died about two weeks
3: ago
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, of ALS, 18 years with the disease. Wow. Um, But um, I don't know, I think like 15 of them um, without speaking as a quadriplegic with a tracheostomy, but was still able to write with his big toe and communicate with the outside world. And I used to exchange emails with him um, just up until two weeks ago. And went until he passed away, um, That's a great tribute. Amazing story there. Nieto is the founder of Life Fitness. He's mm. the guy that um, basically invented exercise equipment um, wow. back wow. in the '70s. Um, he's a bodybuilder, raced, like drove Ferraris, lived, lived a crazy life. Lives in or lived in uh, Laguna Niguel, California, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, married to a beautiful wife and um, in 2005 was diagnosed with ALS and he then um, was in denial as I was more or less and said this can't be, can't be me um, and slowly but surely it was him and it overtook him and he then started a foundation on his quest to raise money and funds for ALS and I somehow I don't even know how I heard of him, but um, I did, and I wrote to the website. And they wrote me back, and next thing you know, I'm on a, a Zoom call with a lady from his organization. The call uh-huh. turned into a 45-minute like, like serendipitous moment that we just connected like best friends, sharing stories. And she goes, you know, you remind me of Augie when he, before he got sick. And I was like, wow, okay. And, and she says, after this call, I'm going to write up everything we talked about. I think we have some great ideas. I'll give you information on ALS and everything. And we'll talk again. And in that email, she said, we're having a fundraiser in California. In, at the Miss Carlton, Laguna Niguel. And wow. love to have you come and with your wife. And this was September last year. Um, I was like, I told my wife, I think I have to go. And she's like, what, you talk to this person on the phone? I was like, no, I think I I think I have to go. So I booked the ticket and flew by myself to LA, wow. went to his gala fundraiser, um, met him met uh, a gentleman named Mitch Album as well. Oh. He's the yep, Yeah. The author of Tuesdays with Maury.
1: Yeah.
2: And um now uh fifteen year friend of Augie Nieto's as well. Um I met him, flew out there at the Gala. they raised a million dollars from one dinner. Wow that at that event. Augie raised 152 million dollars with augie's quest in the past um several years of his foundation truly amazing and um yeah i I wrote back and forth him and said i think we're cut from the same cloth."
0: he and i got the fitness background you got connected on a a pretty deep level yeah that's amazing thank you for sharing that and thank you for sharing about the foundations and Kind of what you're doing. I, you're also like you're. There's something with a commercial. Something that might come out this year, maybe.
2: Uh yeah. So, um, I've been uh, taking this one drug uh, called Radicava, and Radicava has a, a thing called Journeymates. Journeymates are like I don't know, mates who accompany you if you have questions about the drug or need help. and one of them, I told her that uh, you know, I'm I'm really responding well to this drug and it's helped me a lot I feel like my muscles respond faster and I feel like when I'm on the drug I feel like I have a stronger bite I'm able to speak better and she said would you be interested in possibly filming like a a testimonial or something and um, that was in July and then Apparently, she'd been sending me emails for ever and a day, and I always deleted them because I thought it was spam. Mm-hmm. Um, then, <laughs> then recently, I got on a call with another one of these joining me people, and she said, Wait, um, would you want to do an infomercial for us? And she said, I need to connect you with this other woman. The other woman said, me, I've already been in touch with Albert. I'm not sure. But that he never responded here. to my email. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> so. Last uh two weeks ago was tiny funny. They said, All right, let's connect. We connected and they told me to do a, like a podcast uh Zoom call with them and they said they like my story and they you know love to have invite me to do a a commercial. So I, I filmed the commercial last week and it's now on the cutting table and uh I should be Doing an informational for Radicava ORS, ORS, which is the new oral drug,
0: the latest, the most effective one for treatment of ALS. Awesome. And Look we at you,
1: brave in the way.
0: And we've talked so. about getting your book written, about all about <laughs> all this stuff, right? Sorry? Getting your book written as well. We want to do that. Oh,
2: yeah. I'd love to do it. Yeah. yeah. Get a book written. Um, what, else, what
0: else would you like to get done here? What's your yes, forecast?
2: Um, I'm doing a lot for charity right now. Um, As I mentioned, I went to the Lausanne Hospitality Business School. I actually just had a a Zoom call for an hour today with the school. My idea was that they have 100 uh, alumni associations around the world. And they're all in hospitality. I said, like, why don't they all do a gala dinner one night a year? And I would say I, I put up $10,000 of my own money and have them each each, each of the alumni association groups also match that $10,000 times a hundred. We get a million dollars raised and that should go for a scholarship, uh, a series of scholarships for students in need. And the remaining money would go to the local ALS chapters in those mm-hmm. respective countries. I so they had the, they, they literally are bringing on someone to run uh, some, like a charity, not charity, but scholarship foundation arm at the school. That person's being hired in May. So it's perfect timing. Again, serendipity. Yep. The guy said, Albert, we love this. I love the idea. We're going to make it happen.
0: And um, well, they were, you know, off to the races. That was, that was today. That that reminds me, you also paid for uh, our thirtieth year high school reunion. Albert gave a large donation to uh, our thirtieth reunion, and I think it covered the cost of everything. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank <laughs> you, thank you for making that possible. That was no interesting. problem. That was. And then
3: the other thing
2: I, I'm doing right now is um, with the ALS Association. I am we're doing a walk. It's going to be a 5k ALS walk May 13th in Miami. I am the community champion, uh, for Miami and all of South Florida. And the goal is to raise $65,000 with all the teams. Um, I will be, I'm, I'm proud to say that my team as of today, my team alone, and there are, I think like 20 teams, my team alone has 80 members. And we've raised, our goal was to raise $3,000 for my team, for every team to get to that 65,000. Mm-hmm. And my team so far with another month and a half, two months to go, we've raised uh, 15,500 so far. Awesome. Wow. awesome. And I'm bringing, I'm bringing in corporate sponsors. Um, one of the companies that I work with is called Chef's Warehouse. They're a specialty uh, food provider I um, know the CEO from my business dealings and I texted him today saying, Hey, Chris, uh, I'd like to talk to you about a couple of things. And within five minutes, the CEO, mind you, texted me back and said, let's talk tomorrow. And I, you know, I I said I'm uh, ALS now and, you know, not in great conditions, but I'm still working and Anyway, I have some ideas and I wanted to ask you about multiple charity sponsorship or donations. So I'm talking with him tomorrow. Awesome. And um, I'm also organizing two other big charity dinners. I have mm. a country club in Palm Beach that, that donated the whole entire country club um, wow. to uh, host a gala. And I want to bring in you know, the local community who has some obviously some, some money in Palm Beach, get them to be charitable and support ALS. Mm. I expect to have that going. And, that's, and there I'm pulling on my chefs and all the community, all the people that I've worked with over the years. Wow. All my network of chefs and restaurateurs and people working work at country clubs and hotels and cruise lines. I'm mean, going to lean on all of them. Ask them to step up. And I mean, so far, um, it's, it's pretty... Um, nice to see that everybody's responding very positively I have the executive chef from the breakers in Palm Beach who is um, it's actually a good story he's on board automatically he said a thousand percent we're supporting you Albert let's figure out the date um, right now we talk today it's going to be in June sometime so I'll tell you more hopefully in a later time but we can maybe get you guys to come do a podcast at the event <laughs> yeah sounds <that was> fun.
1: <laughs> that would be awesome,
2: but um interesting other story about serendipity. the former executive chef of the Breakers, there was a chef named Matthias Raditz. He passed away from ALS in I believe it was two thousand five so A l s is very close to the chef community in Moi. As well as to me, because he was, uh, that chef was a good friend of my father's. And, um, so now we're going to do it in the name of mm. Chef Raditz, in my name, and the Breakers and the Chefs Association of West Palm Beach.
3: Wow.
2: Wow. So it's all coming together, bit by bit. And I'm just getting started.
1: <laughs> okay. I just have to say, like, listening to you. Every experience you have had in your life in the past. Can
0: you guys still hear me? Bringing
1: yeah. you to right now. And then I think that your practice of being present has allowed you to be so creative in your condition and how to use that for good. So we yeah. have like the past, the present, and what you're doing is going to create ripples for the future. And I just love seeing that in your story. That is amazing.
4: Yeah, you
0: just pl- you just plowed like like I said, your attitude and your foresight yeah. and your forecast of life. You, you 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 made you you took us on a journey. This and you've taken me on a journey as we've reconnected. Like here I am with bipolar, and I complain about my life, and I have depression at times, and I'm mental at times, and I'm crazy about life sometimes, and my out my outlook gets my outlook gets cloudy, and it gets. You know, and and here you are, um, just plowing through <clears> life with, you know, all your momentum in your career, your family, your kids, um, all the connections, your business, your attitude, the marathons. It's just you're leveraging all of that to do fantastic things, and there's a bright future, and and you see that, and you are living in in the presence in, in the present right now. It's it's truly inspiring. I, I've yeah. said it now. I've now said it like six times, but thanks man. Oh.
3: <laughs>
1: okay. So in um, all, me, in, in, in all of this, I have felt inspired that I want to do research or donate. How can people contact you or contact a foundation that you would recommend that they support or donate to, to help all of your costs?
2: Um, and so for this in short term, right now, I have the ALS walk in May 13th. I have a, a link that I can provide you with. That'd that be people great. people could um, donate, they can join my team. If they're around South Florida, they can even, you know, hop on and, and walk with us. If they can't, um, just uh, join in, donate for the cause. Um, I'm getting donations from $10 to $100. Some people give me thousand dollars, thousand five hundred dollars. that's what of the most generous so far. Um but
0: uh yeah we'll post, we'll post all these links that with uh, as as we post this In and the my, show char- yeah. Yeah, my
2: charity gala dinner that I planned I'm gonna give I wanna raise the money and then give it to the ALS Association. I wanna give a third to them, a third to MGH for the research arm, and another third to the University of Miami ALS Center. Uh-huh. So because I have two teams. I have the MGH team that diagnosed me. I have a local team that you know supports me and gets me through my day-to-day needs with ALS. and then I have the ALS Association at large and for South Florida that I work with, and like I said, I'm a community champion for them. So yeah, I have links for that. I'd love to yeah, send them to all us. send yep. them all.: We'll post them. And, oh, check this out. This is kind of cool. Today I had another one of those moments where I was like, wait a second. Uh, let me go back to work. And I work out of WeWork. So we work, you know, like like shared office space. Yep. So I go in there and, again, you know, I like to talk with people. I'm, like, always networking left and right. That's my superpower, I'd say. If I, like, tell somebody what I'm good at. One of them. It's literally my superpower is networking. Bring people together for myself, for others, finding people jobs, finding opportunities, lifting, like, lifting up every stone and checking what's underneath. So I walked into WeWork today, I hadn't been there in a while, I said hi to the guys. I said, listen, I have this idea. I need to do this walk. Can you guys do some promotion for the walk for me? With flyers, can I get the ALS to like host a, a happy hour? at one of their offices in one of the main centers. And they said, oh, what, no problem, of course. We'll get it figured out, and I said, or maybe we work, we'll do a corporate sponsorship because everybody you know, works remote and everything. It'd be cool, possibly get more clients to come to WeWork. He said, yeah, I see that too. And I work out of one location in Brickle, Miami. We work as a location in Coral Gables, Brickwell, South Beach, as well as windwood And they invited me to have the ALS Association, go to each one of those, have a happy hour at each one, wow. bring in people from each one, post it on the website. Nice. So I'm going to get donations from them, get the exposure, hopefully get all, of, like, not all of them, but hopefully a lot of them to come walk with me. And know, keep snowballing. So like that was a really fun thing. That's that happened
0: amazing. Love it. Every, day. You Every day doors are opening and, and you're running through them and you're opening yeah, It used them to be what
2: them. used to be what I did for my professional career and my work. And that's how things happened. And now I'm leveraging my skills from business for yes. And how I can help others. So I just um, love seeing that
1: you are, <clears throat> you're not just sitting back and waiting for something to happen to you, but you are making something happen.
2: Thank you. That's exactly what I, that's the message. Yeah. Yep. Exactly.
4: You have just sit
2: and pray that it'll go away or something will happen. And that's why I tell my boys as well. You got to make it happen. You have to line it up. And then you have to give that extra push to actually set it in motion. And otherwise, it's not going to happen. And let me just tell you I'm now, um, like, again, holding up my head because otherwise it just drops. Like, watch. Mm. kind of flips back and forth. My arms I used to be, again, benching 150, 160. I could do 50 push-ups and a drop. And now my arms.
0: Yeah. Are, you said they were a lot more slender. Slender.
2: Yeah. yeah. Atrophied. My hands are atrophying. My legs are the next to go. My. I'm starting to have foot drop, as they say. Um, so, it's crazy. But
4: guess Albert, what, Albert? Tomorrow, you're,
0: you are you are amazing at showing who you are and what this is about and the strength.
4: Let me t- find tomorrow, or you.
2: Tomorrow, were... I'm taking my family to Switzerland on skiing.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> and he's going. And he's going. You guys, he has a major trip tomorrow out of the country, and he's on the he's on the podcast with us. I mean, thank you. Thank you so much.
2: I've got my SKU stuff out. I'm talking in bed. love it.
1: I love, it.
0: I love hey, it. Hey, Clarissa, we, we've talked about having a bad week. We needed this t- this week. Oh, we did. we <clears throat> did. Yep.
1: We did.
4: Holy crap. Yeah. And,
1: and kiss my kiss my ancestors home. Hello. Oh,
4: I'm goodness.
1: from, I'm a tune. I'm a tune. Like, that's my maiden name. So I'm from okay. Switzerland. No
4: way. no way. Yeah. That's crazy. That's Chicago. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's so. awesome.
2: Yeah, so I'm taking the boys. We're going skiing in Davos on the weekend with the cousins. And then we're going to go to Ascona in Ticino. It's an Italian speaking mm-hmm. park for a couple of days. And then head back to Padua Gats, hit the thermal baths. And then. Oh, um, that
1: sounds nice.
2: Right? And then yeah. have a big family dinner. <laughs>
3: I'm
2: taking my wife out next Friday to a three-star Michelin
0: restaurant mm. and we'll uh, fly back on Saturday. Yeah. Drop, drop the mic. That's a drop the, drop mic. the
2: mic. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> have fun. <laughs> that Albert, is amazing.
0: Thank you so much. We hope to yeah, have you on you again. We'd love to have you on again at some point absolutely. and talk more about it and uh, see what you're up to. We are going to do our best to promote this and get this out. Your story oh, is yes, incredible. Yes.
1: Send, uh, send, save all the <clears throat> icons and graphics and stuff. Let's get this. Let's get your walk out there, your gala. Awesome. there. Let's do yeah. it.
0: Okay. Love it. Love it. And once save. I have the
2: commercial, um, oh, they just sent me back feedback They said they were happy with it. I did it in one take. They said, <laughs> "Yep, we're doing, we're gonna do it." And like, you're gonna get updates. It'll come like in the next couple of months or weeks, whatever. And um, yeah, there's a uh, cool stuff of. Cool stuff happening all around. I'll keep you posted. Thank, thank you, you for being. Mind.
0: Thank you for being a light in this world, Albert.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. My pleasure.
0: Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Thanks, you, too. too. you too. Thanks. Thanks. Bye, listeners.